Hi there. You're watching Brand 2020, a special series where we look at how Japan presents itself to the outside world, especially in the run-up to the Tokyo Olympics. My name is David Russell. I've been honored to be the co-host here for the last several sessions, working together with my partner co-host Tim Langley. Tim's taking a break now to give me a chance to interview a very special guest. I have with me today Mr. Glenn Wood, who was formerly a manager at Mitsubishi UFJ Morgan Stanley Securities. Glad to have you on with us today, Glenn. Great to be here, David. Terrific. A lot of things I want to talk to you about today, but the general theme is about toxic workplaces in Japan. Not something most foreigners think about. You know, this very, very positive image of this country with good reason. But there is a certain seamy side that doesn't get much coverage in the media. And I think you've had some experience there. We've all had experience in Japanese companies where we see that the workplace is not always the, the cheery, happy, robot-like place that it's portrayed overseas, is it? Yeah, that's exactly right, David. A good friend of mine always says, you know, Japan's a great place to live and visit, but it's another thing to work here. <laughs> exactly. Well, one of the things I want to look at, a statistic that just popped into my attention very recently, said something like 60 people a day commit suicide in Japan. We've all heard about the Japanese suicide rate, but it's not going down. And literally, in the time it takes us to film this episode, Somebody will commit suicide in Japan. In the time it takes the cameraman to pack up his gear, another person will commit suicide. What's going on? Is, you know, is, is there something seriously wrong with mental health in Japan that everybody's killing themselves? It's a scary reality, but I think it comes down to um, abuse and harassment of people in the workplace to, to a large extent. And it's, it's something that I think as we move into the next century and as, as Japan faces the Olympics and large international events and becoming global as Japan wants to be, uh, they're going to have to take a look at universal human rights and, and see what's affecting people and why people are dissatisfied and committing suicide, as you say. So you think the, the, actually the suicide rate has a direct relationship to situation in the Japanese workplace? Well, I do, David. You know, the majority of people's lives are spent in the office. Mm. And what happens there and how the boss treats you and, and how you are placed in the hierarchical organization has a huge impact on, on your mental well-being and your physical well-being and how you look, uh, how you, you look at life overall, your worldview, actually. Hmm. You mentioned harassment. Uh, we've heard the word a lot. We know uh, the, uh, for example, the Me Too movement from overseas has finally come to Japan. It's getting a little bit of press coverage. I don't know if it's really getting a lot of traction. But so that's looking at sexual harassment in the workplace. I'm sure there's sexual harassment in Japanese workplace. Is that part of the, the basic thing you're talking about? It is, right? And, you know, I think the first time sexual harassment was used in Japan was almost 30 years ago. But, but yeah, we've got sexual harassment, we've got um, physical harassment, we've got discrimination, you've got um, all sorts of other harassment words that have come into the Japanese vernacular mm -hmm. over the past 30 years, including uh, moral harassment, uh, power harassment, right. uh, maternity harassment, paternity harassment, etc., that have uh, become quite everyday words here in Japanese society. Mm. Yeah, I'm getting more and more of a sense that the, the big corporate workplace in Japan is really not a happy place and that a lot of people are suffering there. And the suicide rate may be only the tip of the iceberg, only one manifestation of this very negative uh, situation in the companies. What, what, what's your take on harassment? Why is harassment so, so endemic in Japan? It seems, David, and again, I'm, I'm just beginning to look at this, but I've, it seems to be a remnant of, of a past where, where you have a, a feudalistic society of, of elites and serfs, basically. And another way of saying it is perhaps corporate soldiers, where when you join a company and, and you're part of a large corporation, you're 100% 
the property of the corporation. And in that way, uh, as you move up the corporate ladder, you are harassed and, and you're controlled in, in that way. And when you then become a manager, it's almost as if you're granted a license to then harass people. That's a pretty extreme view. I, I don't know. Do you think that's, is that really an accurate portrayal of most Japanese companies? I, I think it certainly is, is well disguised, perhaps. And it's, it's, it's perhaps something that we don't want to label as cool Japan. Mm -hmm. But it certainly seems to be uh, an influence in, in people's lives and, and the way people work. Yeah, I think uh, we both had experiences in big Japanese companies. I've worked for several, and I've seen some pretty toxic work environments. Not, not always, not all the people in the company, not all the managers, but there are always individuals in the company who feel it is their right to behave in any manner they please. And mistreating their subordinates seems to be, as you were indicating, fairly well accepted here. And there's obviously a long tradition in that sense. I think it is a tradition, and in some ways, you know, it's 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 part of the way Japan operates. And you know, I'm I'm certainly not here. I I, I love Japan. I've been in Japan for thirty years, and I'm I'm not here saying that Japan needs to change. Mm -hmm. But I think what what we are saying is is that in order for Japan to become global, that at some point they have to start considering universal human rights. Well, what does that mean? I mean, doesn't Japan already consider universal human rights? Well, it, it wouldn't seem so, actually. And I think that's part of the issue with globalization of Japan. Mm -hmm. It's certainly coming to light with the Olympics coming up. Mm -hmm. David, we see the Me Too movement here, for example, finally really getting some traction, getting off the ground. Uh, we even see the vice finance minister having to quit his job over sexual harassment claims. Unthinkable. So, unthinkable really? uh, several years ago. So it, it really seems to be coming to the forefront. Um, and the law, the, the legal framework in Japan is actually quite supportive. It's, the issue is I think the, the large corporations operate above the law. Yes, I think the law is very supportive of what you meant. It's not supportive of, of the, uh, the victims. Right. The law is supporting the oppressors, right? <laughs> the, uh, the law, basically, there have been a bunch of laws passed recently. I mean, certainly there are laws against uh, certain kinds of harassment. And the government started passing laws around 2014 trying to say that we, we have too many suicides directly related to uh, work and we need, we need to somehow find a way to, to push this number down. Obviously, it's an embarrassment to the government. And so they started passing laws, but the laws have no teeth. That's there are right. no punitive damages for companies that do these things, are there? No, and that's, and that's a brutal fact. And, and that's something that, uh, again, without punitive punishment, it's, it's hard to see how corporations are going to change. Yeah, what and is so the, the situation just seems to keep going on and on, doesn't yeah, it? That's right. Um, that's right. You know, with a famous case in 1991, a young employee at Dentsu committed suicide because of massive, massive overworking hours. And that was a huge scandal, not just for Denzu, but for Japanese industry in general. And then what happens? A decade goes by, we've got another one, right? Same uh, woman, company. Same company, and just a few years ago, another woman committed suicide on Christmas Day, having only worked at the company, I think, about half a year, but under tremendous stress and just a massive number of overtime working hours. And this, is, this phenomenon, of course, has its own name in Japanese. Everyone knows about karoshi, which means overwork. And we hear that a lot. It's in the newspapers all the time. Wait a minute there, David, though. I would, I would say that um, karoshi, perhaps directly translated, comes across as death from overwork. But actually, it's, it's really not that. that that's, that's, kind of a, that's kind of a very nice way of saying it. And oftentimes, it's a badge of honor that's used in Japan to say, my son or daughter worked so hard that they died for the company. Hmm. Um, in fact, I think what you see is karoshi should be probably more accurately translated as 
death from harassment or, or, or death from being forced to, to work very long hours under very stressful and harassment-filled uh, days, which, which led somebody to an extreme hopelessness, wow. which, which then led to suicide. That's an interesting point of view. I hadn't really considered that, but yes, after you say that, yes, uh, if karoshi is simply translated as overwork, and if that, it, it has that same connotation in Japanese. In Japanese, work is an honorable thing. To have got a job at a, at a big company is an honorable thing. So working is an honorable thing. Working extra hours is a very honorable thing. <laughs> and if you work so hard that you die at your desk, well, that's actually an honorable thing. And parents basically, are, they're sorry to lose a child, but at least the child do, did, died doing something worthwhile. <laughs> Right. So, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm not trying to make fun of it, but the fact is there is a sense that work is an honorable thing, so death by overwork is in itself honorable, and that's certainly the way the company sees it. Exactly, and that's obviously a corporate spin to, mm. to cover up what's really going on. Um, you know, you get this image, I think, a lot of foreigners get this image of somebody who hasn't eaten in three days, sitting at their desk with a broken pencil, writing their last word as they fall over, and that's, that's certainly not what Karoshi is about. So what are we really talking about here? I think we're talking about um, people that feel like they have a right to, to use and abuse the people in their care uh, mm -hmm. to the point where they lose hope. And, and you, get a, you get people, uh, whether it's women being abused uh, because you know, they're out at a drinking party and you know, they're, they're there for a good time. And mm -hmm. uh, there's it's been a stressful day and it's the boss's right to do what he does. Yeah, and so, it's, it's, again, that type of behavior, I think, that, that uh, is inexcusable. So extremes of sexual harassment and power harassment and this kind of, the kind of harassment that leads to people working massive, massive hours and overtime every month, all those kinds of things seem to be part of just a, a general attitude inside the company. You know, there's no sexual harassment department. Um, it's just a general attitude of employees are expendable. It is an honor to work for our company. And I didn't get a big salary raise when I became a manager, so I have certain privileges. That's I right. have certain rights as a manager, and that includes berating my staff, treating them any way I want, telling them to work till three in the morning, I'm going home now, but you better be at your desk at eight o'clock in the morning, that kind of thing. Yeah, in general, I think that's right. And, and you have then an HR department, human resource department, that is fully supportive of that, mm -hmm. which basically uh, turns out to be a trap for people. So you know they institute these hotlines for people to call HR when there's a problem, and what it actually is is it's 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 uh, it's a trap to to find employees that are not worthy soldiers, and uh, and it's it's a trigger actually then to harass people more to push them out of the company. Wow, wow, that's you know you, you paint a very dark picture of the Japanese corporate world, but I think there's it, it's actually pretty accurate in some ways. And I think there's some bright examples, David. You know, I've, I've, I've recently heard some great things about the company Suntory, for example, mm -hmm. that they have some uh, human resource policies in place, and especially when it comes to women, the rights of women, the ability of, of women to, to take maternity leave and then return to their job. Very liberal and very supportive mm -hmm. is what I've heard. Mm -hmm. So I think, I think what we want to do here is find these companies and support them and shine light on them as good examples, especially going into the Olympics and beyond of companies that are Japanese, that are traditional Japanese, that have a great work ethic and yet also are, are uh, following universal human rights. Well, thank you. That's exactly the kinds of things that we want to do here with Brand 2020. It's not just criticize, criticize, criticize. We want to say, how can Japan better present itself, better explain itself to the rest of the world in the run-up to the Olympics? Absolutely. And you've just provided one very good example.
Right? Yes, we need to criticize companies that are doing bad things, but we also need to find the good companies and bring them up. Uh, you also just mentioned maternity leave. I think you taught me before that uh, maternity leave in Japan is actually it's a more liberal system than it is in the U.S. Both maternity leave and paternity leave have the same number of days given, right? It's, they're actually viewed equally by the law. Yeah, that's right. I think Japan realized uh, several decades ago, actually, that with a declining population, and with a work culture as it is, that uh, people just can't have kids. Mm -hmm. And so the legal framework is actually put in place, and it's a very, it's a very good program, very liberal program from, from my perspective. Both men and women have the right to take up to 12 months off per wow. child. Wow. And that uh, is paid for by the government, not by the corporations. And the corporation's responsibility are simply twofold. One, they must accept the application. They must allow mm -hmm. a man or a woman to take maternity or paternity leave. And secondly, they must give the person's job back when they come back to the workforce. So essentially, it's no risk to the corporation at all for someone to take maternity leave or paternity leave. Is, there's no downside to the corporation. Someone's gone for a year, all the expenses are paid by the government, and then they come back, pick up their job where they were before, and, and start up again, right? Essentially, um, I guess I would just add one caveat that, you know, as a manager uh, myself in, in a firm, when you do lose somebody who is important on a certain project or in a certain division, then uh, to just kind of replace them and, and, and keep that position open for six to 12 months can be quite challenging to a corporation. I understand. Yeah. You had some personal experience in that department, didn't you? Well, that's right, yeah. No, I, uh, my, my son was actually born overseas, uh -huh. and I'm a Canadian, and in, inquiring, with Sorry the, <laughs> inquiring with the, with the Canadian embassy, I, I found out that in order to get a passport for my son mm -hmm. to, to bring him back to Japan, uh, we were going to have to actually go and, and apply for the passport, and it takes about a month, mm -hmm. um, and, and then bring my son back. And when I explained that to, to management at the firm, uh, I, was, I, was, I was pretty well shut down, and it was, it was a pretty tragic experience. Just because you wanted to step away from your desk for a little while to be overseas and well, take care of your son. Well, that's right. It, it wasn't acceptable, I think, for a banker to, to take time off to, to, um, to take care of... Uh, isn't, newborn. You just said paternity leave up to one year is guaranteed by law, right? And well, the, that's right. The company has no choice but to accept that. That's right. Correct? That's right. But For they sure. just ignored that. Exactly. So what we're seeing is the, the laws don't really have any teeth, so the companies do what they want to do anyway. It seems, at least from my experience, that companies do tend to operate above the law and, and do their own thing and make their own decisions. So what was the outcome of your? You, you came back? Right. So Were you I, compensated? Did you get your job back? Well, uh, I had to leave because my son was born uh, prematurely, so I didn't have a choice. I had to leave, and as I left, I was still not granted permission, so I left without permission. Mm -hmm. um, and, uh, You're then, not a good soldier at That's all. right. I'm, I'm an infirm. You went AWOL for Mitsubishi I went AWOL, infirm soldier. And, and thus, as punishment, I guess, when I came back to work, I, I wasn't allowed to continue my job. And eventually, uh, they cut off my salary, and eventually, they, they fired me. So much for toxic workplace environments. Yes, it <laughs> sounds like you've got more experience than most people do. It's a big topic. Glenn, you've been through a pretty trying experience. It could easily put you in a very, very negative state of mind about your own company, as well as about the Japanese corporate world in general. But isn't there something positive? Isn't there another way to look at this? Can something good come out of all of this? How can the companies change? How can things become better? Absolutely, David. So, you know, Mitsubishi and the, and the brand Mitsubishi, the fact that it's a great global company, it's a huge global conglomerate, has unlimited potential. Um, and, and I really think that 
as a global company, it, it's been forced to look at universal human rights. It's been forced to look at how we acquire foreign companies and incorporate them in, into our brand. And I think this is all part of the struggle and it's a, it's a process of development. And I think we're well on the way. However, we've still got a long ways to go. Um, it would help, for example, if, if HR was more independent and actually operated on behalf of the employees. It would, help, um, it would help to have divisions that focused on these issues. You know, they've recently set up a diversity division. Mm -hmm. um, it, it would really help if, if they took the issues seriously, admitted when there were issues and, and, and when there were problems, and resolved them immediately. And, and again, I, I, I'm very hopeful that Mitsubishi will make it. You know, it's, it's a company that's been around almost 200 years, and I, I think it has a very bright future. And I'm, I'd, I'd, love to, I'd love to actually go back and help them solve these issues. Thank you very much. This is something we could talk about for a long, long time. There's so many aspects to this, the different aspects to harassment, which we could go into in great detail. You could do a whole episode just on sexual harassment, not even scratch the surface. There's so many things about Japanese companies that are worth a close investigation. But again, at the end of the day, we're looking for the bright side. We're looking for a way that Japan can present this self in a better light overseas, explain itself better, and actually change itself and improve itself to make itself a, a better society not just for the Olympics, but for its own good. Stay with us on Brand 2020. We look forward to seeing you. Thank you.